Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back everyone. On today's show, we hear the birth story of Mount Isa midwife, Tony. Tony found herself on an unexpected journey when she discovered she was pregnant. With her relationship still in its early stages, an extra layer of complexity was added to her path. Throughout her pregnancy, Tony encountered numerous hurdles. Working in the midwifery space, she was exposed to confronting realities that stirred fear within her. Meanwhile, the pain of a relationship breakdown weighed heavily on her heart, intertwining with the challenges that she faced. Aware of the outdated practices prevalent in her small hospital, she knew she had to navigate and advocate for herself. During her 20-week scan, Tony received the unexpected news of having placenta previa. Initially, she remained unfazed, holding on to hope that it would resolve itself as her pregnancy progressed. However, as time wore on, the reality of the situation began to sink in and her dreams of a physiological birth gradually faded away. The weight of this loss brought about a profound sense of grief as she mourned the birth experience she had envisioned. Fueled by her own education and guided by the wisdom she received, Tony decided she would stand as a guardian of her own story, determined to carve out a sacred space within the operating room. Seeing her unwavering resilience, Tony's fellow employees recognized the significance of her vision and came together to create a beautiful, reverent atmosphere for her birth. The ripples of her birth extended far beyond her own journey, igniting change in the face of tradition within the hospital, a testament to the awe-inspiring power of birth. Today, she shares the birth preferences she requested to facilitate a gentle arrival for her son, along with the unwavering support she received from her community throughout her pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Tony. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm really excited to have a chat today. To start off the episode, could you just share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, 
I live in Mount Isa, which is a small mining town. We're about 900 kilometres west from Townsville, um, so quite far away from everything. Um, I came out here as an agency midwife um, with the plan to be here for six months. Um, I've now been here for just over three years. Mm -hmm. And 11 weeks ago, I gave birth to um, my first son, Kahurangi, uh, Kahu we call him. Um, and yeah, this is going to be our home for now. Beautiful. And what a unique name. Where does that originate from? Um, it's a Maldi name. Um, okay. So Kahurangi, um, it means treasured one or it's the colour blue of the sky. Um, right. So Rangi means sky. Um, yeah. I love that. And is that your side, dad's yeah. side or both? Uh, no, I'm Australian. Um, his father is from New Zealand. Um so that's just a little nod to that part of his heritage. Yeah, beautiful. So special. And was he a planned conception? No, he was a, a big surprise. Right. Okay. And yeah. did you know that you were pregnant straight away or did you miss your cycle? Um, it was really strange. I don't know even why I did a pregnancy test. It was probably three days out before um, my period was due to arrive and I had randomly believe it or not a pregnancy test that I'd had from work that um I you know had in my pocket um that was in my bathroom drawer and one night before a shower I was just like I'm just gonna do a pregnancy test <laughs> um and I did it and it like nothing showed up and I was like not surprised because I didn't feel like there was I don't even know why I did it and um then I got out of the shower and went to throw it in the bin and there was a second line um and it was a big shock um yeah. Yes, and I drove over to one of my friends' house and picked up some digital pregnancy tests on the way um, and they came up positive as well. So, yeah, I'd, I'd never had a pregnancy scare or a, anything before, so it was it was quite a shock. Yeah, wow. And did you tell your partner straight away or...? Um, so he was working on night shifts, so um, I didn't. I I waited until the next day because um, I didn't want him to <laughs> be um, freaking out uh, on night shift. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of this we'll go into on the podcast, but we hadn't been together for very long and it was a bit rocky. Um, and he actually left when I was 10 weeks pregnant. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. He, he's now back and we're co-parenting really beautifully but that was part of what made my pregnancy quite tricky um there was a lot of grief at the end of our relationship um he wasn't ready to be a dad and um it ended quite badly at about eight weeks and I didn't see him between 10 and 36 weeks and we had no contact at all right okay that must have been so stressful for you yeah Okay, so answer what you feel comfortable with, obviously, but was he immediately just not on board with it at all? Um, he was, we were both kind of unsure of what the best direction to take was and he didn't feel ready um, in his life. I'm a couple of years older and I have always wanted a family. Um, so while it was a surprise and it wasn't planned and I wasn't sure if it was the right choice at that moment, um, I wasn't unhappy um, where it was, you know, a much bigger shock to him and was much scarier. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. And if you don't mind me asking, how long had you guys been together at that point? Um, like nine months. Okay, that's not that short amount of time. Yeah, but not not 
serious. Like we were together, but yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, we weren't okay. solid. Right. And so, take us through your pregnancy. Then, what was that? What were some of the ebbs and flows of that experience for you? Yeah. So, um, it was there were a lot of challenges throughout okay. the pregnancy. Um, dealing with a relationship breakup and then um, I was in hospital accommodation as a midwife here so having to decide where we were going to live um, whether we moved back to Townsville where I have family and friends or if we stay here in Mount Isa um, and that was sort of one of the first big decisions um, even to whether or not to continue with the pregnancy, I guess, at starting at the very beginning was was a challenge, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, it, it seems crazy now looking at him that I considered that he wouldn't be here, but mm. it was, um, you know, a very big decision to be deciding um, whether or not to proceed. Um, and... Can I just quickly ask, and yep. again, please only answer what you feel comfortable sharing with us, yeah, of but course. what was your thought process when deciding something like this? Because I can see the weight in both of those choices, um, and I would just really love to hear what came through for you when making such a big decision. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it was just, it came down to. I knew that I had to have him I, I and I didn't think it was a him. I, I was convinced it was a girl for most of the pregnancy, mm-hmm. but I, I, I knew that this baby had chosen this time to come. Um, so I had actually, I had a script to start the, the pill um, that month. We were going on holidays and I wanted to give us some time as a couple to sort of sort ourselves out um, or to see where it could go. Um and then I found out I was pregnant and I'm a big believer in things happen at the right time. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of felt like the little soul had chosen to come. Um, and if they chose to stick around, um, I had a lot of cramping in the first trimester and I had some spotting. Um, so I kind of got to the point where I was like, do you know what, baby, if you choose to stay, then I'm in too. So um, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So we had, we had an um, one of the obstetricians who I work with here, um, who I had a good working relationship with, um, and I was about seven weeks, and we just did a bedside ultrasound to make sure that things were where they should be and things were going okay. Um, and I had actually spoken to her about 12 months earlier um, about I did a fertility check because I was 34 at that stage and I was single um, and I knew that I wanted a family sort of to see where I was at um, and to look at maybe down the track doing um, IVF or having a sperm donor, you know, looking at my options. Um, So I met with her with this surprise pregnancy and I said, look, things have ended not very well with you know, my partner, I'm not sure if I want to continue with this. And um, she said in her Russian accent, oh, don't be silly, Tony, you know, you, you've always wanted a baby. This is um, good pregnancy. We will, we will have this baby. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. And she was like, yes, yes, no. And I said, well, maybe, you know, we'll see, we'll see if this sticks. Like I said, I'd had some spotting. And um, she said to me, oh, no, look, look at it. Um, very, very healthy, very plump yolk sack. Um <laughs> And I kind of laughed and 
walked out and was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I guess I'm having this baby then. Um, and that was his utero name throughout the pregnancy. We called him Yoki um, because because he had a healthy, plump yolk sack at that first little ultrasound. Oh, yeah. And what was the rest of your pregnancy like for you? Yeah, um, I I have a really beautiful community around me. It's one of the reasons I chose to stay in Mount Isa because small towns, they breed this, this real closeness. Um, I work as an MGP midwife, so the MGP team is like a family. We spend, you know, all of our work life together and all of our personal life together. So I felt like I had, and I do have a family here, um, really beautiful people um so one of my good friends came with me to my um my nuchal ultrasound and um we you know saw all of that together and that was really scary so a lot of a lot of navigating my pregnancy was also the challenge between my midwife brain and what was developing as my mum brain mm-hmm. um, so on the nuchal scan, as she was going through, I, I didn't want to be one of those, oh, I'm a you know medical professional at the beginning, but she realised pretty soon because she was like, okay, we're just you know measuring the nuchal, um, we're measuring the nuchal fold and we're checking the palate and I was asking questions and she's like, are you medical? <laughs> I was like, yes. Um, so I was, I was looking for all of the things that I knew could go wrong, um, but he was you know, baby was all perfect at that point and it was really cool seeing seeing um, everything and I was, you know, quite scared at that appointment. I was quite scared the whole pregnancy really. Okay. Um, scared of losing him or what were some of the fears that were coming up for you? I was scared that, yeah, once I decided that I wanted I wanted the pregnancy to continue that it wouldn't. Okay. Um, I also found that... I'd reach a certain gestation where I had cared for a woman or a family that had experienced a pregnancy loss Um, and I could picture that. Um, I, you know, lots of mums look at their pregnancy apps and it says, you know, your baby's the size of a carrot this week or it's the size of a pumpkin or, you know, whatever other silly little thing. But um, having worked as a midwife, I could, I knew what a 16-week baby looked like. Um, and I was scared kind of every gestation of the baby that I'd cared for that had been born at that stage. Um, So that was really tricky to navigate and it was tricky working in the midwifery space like that. Um, I was scared of where I was giving birth. Mount Isa, like I said, it's it's small. We're a small um, hospital Um, and... Some of the practices here are still a little bit behind where they might be in other places. Um, so I was navigating working with the people who would be with me in my birth. Um, I was navigating some of the policies and procedures that as a woman I might not agree with. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, so that was tricky Um, and I was doing it by myself. I also had to figure out where we were going to live um, so I couldn't stay in hospital accommodation. Um, Rent, as you know, like the living crisis is horrendous so I didn't want to be paying rent. So in in my pregnancy, I had a surprise pregnancy, decided to keep it, had a breakup, um, decided I was going to stay in Mount Isa, which is away from my mum and my family. Um, I bought a house for us, oh, wow. um, settled a house 
and was also dealing with um, throughout um, a placenta previa. So um, at 20 weeks, um, the placenta was low and I thought it would move. Um, so it was hysteria and I knew that about 96% um, of placenta previa, especially posterior, will move before term. Um, but I was worried. Um, I, I didn't want to have a cesarean. I, I had this, you know, really almost romantic picture of coming in with my support team, um, you know, in the middle of the night in a spontaneous labour. We have a really high induction rate here um, and I knew I didn't want that. Um, you know, sneaking in, you know, in established labour after labouring in my home that I'd bought, um, having low light, having my midwife there. I had a student midwife um, who is also a photographer. She was taking photos for us. Um, I pictured that I would roar my baby aside like I'd seen so many women do. Take your time. Yeah. And... Um, it felt really scary to think I wouldn't get that dream. Um, but, you know, I kind of shook that off and I was like, it's going to move. And I was really positive and I did a lot of, you know, manifestation and I spoke to my baby and I spoke to my placenta. Um, just, I willed it to move. <laughs> oh, he knows. <laughs> we cried. Um, and then I was diagnosed. I did two weeks of sugar testing at 26 weeks um, and I got gestational diabetes, um, which was another shock. I didn't feel like I had risk factors for that. Um, so that was frustrating um, and disappointing. Um, so I had a growth scan at 28 weeks. The placenta was still completely covering the os. Um, and at that point I started to feel like, it wasn't going to move. Um, and I also hadn't told very many people. So my midwife knew, um, my mum knew, there was probably four or five people that knew that I had placenta previa at that point. Um, and it turned from just a, there's no point talking about it because it's going to move into almost this secret shame. Um, I felt really disappointed that my body was letting me down like this. And I felt a lot of guilt. Um, I worried that maybe the beginning of the pregnancy or, and all throughout the pregnancy, the, the grief um, of everything was somehow impacting my pregnancy. Um, and, yeah, I, I was really sad. I was really, really sad and I grieved started to grieve at that point the loss of the birth that I thought I would have, um, which was really hard. Um, but I still kind of, in the back of my mind, my midwife kept saying to me, you know, there's still time for it to move and, you know, we can be positive, but let's also be realistic and talk about different options. And I'd obviously heard about gentle caesareans and um, I had actually as a student been in a um, cesarean section, it was her third. Um, it was her third Caesar, um, and it was a really healing birth for her. Um, 
and she had a really gentle cesarean and she had a lotus birth of her placenta and I started to think about that and I started to listen to more positive cesarean stories which there aren't as many around and um, I had a birth talk with B from Core and Floor Restore Um, and she actually was one that helped me really shift it. We had um, that talk when I was about 35 weeks pregnant and I was like, it's not fair. Like, this isn't meant to happen to me. I, you know, I've been with so many women who don't don't want to experience labour and birth. They, you know, they want the epidural and they want or they want a cesarean section and that's that's yeah. fine and I love that and I support that for them. But I, I so desperately want to... I want to labour, I want to birth, I want to walk through the fires, I want to go in and claim my baby and be born and that's what I want my story to be. And in her really no-nonsense way, she said, but that's not your story, Tony. It's it's not your story that, you know, you're not going to have a labour and you're not going to have a vaginal birth and that's, that's just not this baby's story. And that sound, like repeating it back sounds so harsh, (laughs) but it was just, it was this, no, like there was no good or bad behind it. It was just, that's the fact, like that's how it's going to be. You're you're going to have a different story with this baby. And I was like, I got off that talk and I was like, okay, yep, that's what it's going to be. We had our 36-week scan and the placenta was still completely covering it and I was grasping at straws and I asked the obstetrician to, um, I was like, what if it's, what if um, the blood flow stopped? Like, what what if the placenta there isn't actually, like, it, it will just move as I start to labour? And um, saying that, like, seems so unrealistic now, but she was so gentle and so supportive and she turned on the the Dopplers, which showed the blood flow and it lit up like a Christmas tree. And I was like, okay. Um, And the current recommendation is to consider a cesarean from 37 weeks to reduce the risk of bleeding. Um, And that didn't sit well with me. And I wanted to to stay pregnant for as long as possible, um, give him the best chance at, you know, extra brain development and all of those kind of things. But I was still so worried that I would go into labour and that it would become an emergency. And what are the main concerns with placenta privia? So the the main risk is bleeding. Um, Significant bleeding um, can be a hemorrhage. So um, I was lucky I had spotting in my first trimester, but then I didn't have any bleeding throughout the pregnancy, which um, was, you know, really good and I took as a good sign. Um, but once your cervix starts to soften and open in preparation for labour, um, it, the placenta can come away from the the uterine wall and there's obviously a rich blood supply there and it can bleed um, and it can put mum and baby in risk very quickly. Um, in Mount Isa especially, um, we don't have a 24-hour theatre um, so if something happened overnight, it would be calling in a theatre t- um, team. So that was also scary because if something went wrong, I knew it wasn't like being in a bigger setting where there was always everyone there. Um, 
was balancing that for me and making sure that my baby and I were both safe. Yeah, okay. And so it was your 37 or 36-week scan that you decided this is going to be the best route for both of you? Yeah, it was 30 – it was a 36 – I think I was 36 in a couple of days. Okay. Um, and the placenta was still fully covering it. I Like looking at the ultrasounds myself, it doesn't look like it moved at all throughout the pregnancy. It was steadfast where it wanted to be. Um, so I, I wrote a birth plan um, that had a lot of things that I thought wouldn't be possible, but I wanted to kind of dream – dream big um for my birth yeah and would you mind sharing some of those things of course um so i wanted to um i'll go through the whole list so i i wanted um to not have antibiotics until i was in theater so here they give antibiotics as you're going up so the baby um is exposed to them so I didn't. I requested not to have antibiotics until they'd started the surgery, so that he, the baby wasn't exposed. Um, I asked that the theatre was quiet at the time of birth. Um, it's something I feel a bit bad that I never thought of as a midwife. Um, I always make sure that in the cesarean, I tell the parents when their baby's about to be born, but often the theatre staff is still like it's a day at work for them and mm-hmm. they're still doing their tricks and they're still hustling and bustling and I never realised that it's kind of noisy and scary and when I thought about that I wanted it to be quiet and calm when my child entered the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I asked that they were quiet at the time of birth. Um, I had the electrode dots stuck on my back so I could do immediate skin-to-skin contact I asked that the drape was down from the beginning of the surgery so that I could see what was happening and that the doctors told me when they were about to cut into my uterus. Um, I wanted to take a moment just to myself to honour what my uterus had done, that it had grown this healthy baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted immediate skin-to-skin contact. Um, So that's something typically the baby is delivered um the cord is cut um we'll sometimes do a minute of delayed cord clamping we advocate for that as much as we can um and then the baby's taken to the resuscitator checked briefly and then brought to mum um but I wanted my baby to come straight up onto my chest um I wanted a lotus delivery of the placenta so I wanted the the cord to not be cut um that was one of the biggest ones that was quite tricky because of the placenta previa, there was concerns that I would bleed um, and there was concerns that it might be adherent, that it might be more significant than we thought and it might have grown into the walls of the uterus and that I had a chance of bleeding um, quite a lot. That was one that I knew may not be a possibility, but it felt important to me I be able to cut the cord that I could sever him from his first home. Um, and I had planned to go home as soon as possible after the birth. Um, so those were the things that I kind of wanted and I thought that some of them would not be possible. Um, but I took them to my midwife and then we took them to the obstetrician and they made them happen. Um, they, they met with the theatre team and they 
met with each other and they did a lot of, you know, logistic planning and they said, you know, we'll do our best. Um, and the day of my birth was was beautiful. It was yeah. really special. Um, I know this is backtracking a little bit, um, but I just wanted to quickly ask, you said that you were, um, you wanted to ideally go full term, but you were a little bit nervous about going into spontaneous labor before that. So what did you end up choosing date wise? Yeah, of course. Sorry. Um, no, totally fine. Yeah. So we, I met with, um, I met with the obstetrician and my midwife at nearly 37 weeks mm-hmm. um, and we the initial suggestion was a 38 week cesarean. I said I didn't feel comfortable with that, and I I wanted to go um, close to 40 weeks. Um, we were also looking at different. So as a small hospital, we only do cesareans on certain days, mm-hmm. um, and I was 39 weeks on a Friday, um, and the next theatre date after that was Tuesday. So I would have been. Um, 39 plus four and um, we were de- that that was the debate between 39 weeks um, and 39 plus four um, or further on and at the end of the day um, the obstetrician sort of had said I'm going to make my recommendations but you know you're the one that's consenting to it if you accept the risk will you know you can do whenever um, so she was recommending at the latest 39 weeks um, and I sat with that and I decided that that felt right. I didn't – I had started to have some fairly strong Braxton Hicks um, and I just didn't want – I didn't want all of the planning that we'd put into this gentle birth to go out the window because I was having an emergency cesarean or because I was bleeding. Yeah. Um, I felt – like that would just compound the grief um, and the loss. And I was worried about my postpartum. I was worried that I had quite bad postnatal depression because of everything that had happened already and I didn't want to add an extra layer to that. So we booked in 39 weeks, um, signed the consent forms and we're ready to go. Yeah, perfect. So my mum... My mum um, was my support person. She came from Townsville. Um, she arrived the day before we were having Bubby. Um, and I had my MGP midwife, who is also a very close friend and colleague. Um, I had a student midwife who um, is also a photographer. Um, she did my birth photography and my maternity photos. Um, and then I had... Um, the obstetrician that I had been seeing throughout my pregnancy, who I also obviously worked with, and I also had the other consultant obstetrician. So I had we have two obstetricians here, um, and both of them were there with my cesarean because it was a high risk of bleeding. Yeah, okay. Should we jump now to the day of your birth? How were you feeling? Um, so we didn't – I didn't sleep much the night before um, – was up early and um, I took some mirror selfies with my bump, the last last bump photos. Um, I'd also baked some cakes. <laughs> um, I, I had these visions. I had this vision of in early labour baking a birthday cake for us to all eat. So I kind of wanted to still 
do that. Um, so I'd baked birthday cakes. I'd baked one for us at home and I'd baked one for the maternity ward and I'd baked one for theatre. Oh, nice. um, and I wrote a note to the theatre staff because uh, you get set in your ways at, in hospitals um, and there was a lot of new things happening this day for them and I wanted to acknowledge that it would be different for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wanted them to feel like to realise that it was a special day. Um, So I wrote them a note saying, you know, here's a birthday cake because today we're celebrating my child's birth and that you're all a part of it and thanking them for, you know, being willing to step outside the norm. Um, And when I I got to the hospital and I went into my room on maternity ward and um, my student midwife and friend had hung up some fairy lights and um, we'd done birth affirmations at my mother's blessing. Um, my friends had all written beautiful little bunting things and my mum hung those up for me. And we were all there, um, got ready, and theatre got delayed multiple times, <laughs> as it does. Yeah. Um, so I was starving, which helped to ease the nerves. Um, one of my other friends and colleagues came in and braided my hair and... Um, yeah, it was, it was really, it felt like a really safe space. I had my people there around me and we were all excited to meet this little one. Um, then we finally went up to theatre. By now I was absolutely starving. Um, and everyone in theatre was really kind, um, and felt really excited to be there with us, um. They all reiterated that they'd read my plan and that they understood and that they were really happy to do those things. Um, we went into the theatre and I was terrified of the spinal. Um, okay. I was really, really scared of having a needle put into my back. Um, and I was sitting on the edge of the bed um, and I... I could feel that I was starting to slip into a panic. I, I was hyperventilating. I felt really lightheaded. My hands were cold and clammy. Um, and Christy, my midwife, came and she held my hands and she was talking to me. Um, and I started doing horse's breath that um, B teaches in her um, antenatal classes and talks about the power of the horse's breath. I was doing the horse's breath and I just kept saying to myself, like, you know, you're safe it's okay, you're safe, it's okay. Um, and it was over so quickly. <laughs> um, but it felt it felt awful in the moment. Yeah. Um, and then I was lying down on the bed and the doctor was there um, and she smiled at me and I could, she had a mask on, but I could see her eyes smiling at me over the, over the mask. Um, and then my mum came in and, um, and was there with me and everyone was there and we started the procedure um, and there's vents above the bed in the in the theatre so I could look up and I could kind of see parts of what was happening um, and I also one of the one of the consultant or the consultant obstetrician um, he started shushing everybody not no one was talking in the theatre room but he started shh um, which is really funny. He's he's a funny one. Um, 
So we had a bit of a giggle about that (laughs) and I knew that we were obviously getting close because he was trying so hard in his own little way to be respectful of those wishes. It was really sweet. Um, What about music or dim lighting? So we took the speaker up and I got so caught up with everything else that we didn't – I had a playlist and we didn't put the music on. Um, (laughs) The lights weren't dimmed. Um, No, the lights were on. So it was just – it was silent and in hindsight I actually think that's better than having the music playing. I wanted music but we had no music. It was just it was just quiet. Um and I'd asked that my obstetrician tell me before she made the incision, but in she didn't speak, she just looked over at me and we made eye contact and I knew I was yeah, that it was about to happen. Um and I closed my eyes. And like I said, I I gave thanks to my uterus before it was cut into. Um, And then I opened my eyes and I looked up at the vent above me and um, I could see through the incision that my baby had hair. (laughs) And I I didn't want a bald baby. (laughs) I kept saying, you know, have hair, have this beautiful hair. Um, I could see this beautiful dark hair through the incision in my uterus and I saw her reach in and pull the head out. And then the whole baby was there and was being passed up onto my chest and he was crying. And um, I lifted him up a little bit and I saw I saw that it was a boy. And I said, oh, my God, I have a son. <laughs> um, and I, I bawled my eyes out. <laughs> I cried and I cried and I think everyone cried Um, and he was just there on me. He was warm and heavy and beautiful. I feel like I need more tissues. (laughs) (laughs) And what about delayed core clamping? Yeah, so um, they were monitoring my bleeding really carefully and we did a – I'm not sure how long in the end. We did delayed cord clamping um, and they – um, left the placenta, uh, the cord unclamped as they removed the placenta. Uh, and then the placenta was put into a bag and was passed up and was sort of sat beside us. So we were able to have that lotus birth of the placenta that um, had been really important to me as well. Yeah. Considering all that you had been through during your pregnancy with grieving the breakdown of your relationship and having, you know, to let go of the birth that you had visualized for yourself, taking all of that into account, how did you feel once he was in your arms? Like none of it mattered. Yeah. (laughs) And everyone said that. Everyone kept saying it to me and I'd said it to women so many times as well. Um, you know, once your baby's here, it's it's all going to melt away. Yeah. And I didn't believe that for me. But he was there and I could touch him and I could kiss him and and it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. And I also, it's really important that to me that it's about how you feel in your birth. It's about how you're treated and... That was part of what I was scared of. I've seen some births and I've been involved in births where women and the space are not respected. Um, And that's really, really hard. 
and I see the flow on effect from that and I, I important it is for your journey into motherhood when you know it's one of those cliches but when your baby is born the mother is born too and if you and your baby are born into a space that doesn't feel safe and doesn't feel respected it has this massive flow on effect yeah. and it was so important for me that I felt safe and respected um and I did and it has made my postpartum journey those early days and weeks so much safer um and I'm really I'm really grateful for that yeah so once your placenta is out is there any other issues that can arise from the placenta previa or are you basically in the clear it, um, so making sure that the uterus can contract well to stop the bleeding. Um, so when the, the placenta is low in the uterus, there isn't as much of the contractile tissue. So when you have contractions, the power of that starts at the fundus at the top of the uterus and that's what could down, um, help open the uterus, uh, open the cervix and push the baby out. Um, but it's also what contracts down to to seal off those blood vessels once the placenta is out. So being that my placenta was at the bottom of the uterus with placenta previa, sometimes it doesn't contract as quickly or as well and those blood vessels can continue to bleed a little bit. Um, so there was a risk of me having a, a postpartum hemorrhage um, and bleeding more significantly. Okay. Um so I did lose a little bit more blood than expected in a cesarean, but it was ex we were planning for it, so it was well managed, um, and that was okay. So the cesarean went ahead um, routinely after that. So baby and um, placenta were up with me, and they redraped up so that the 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 sterile field was more sterile while they were doing everything. Um, there was a really kind of cool for me moment but also a bit strange where I looked up in the vent and my uterus was out on my abdomen which sometimes they do to when they are kind of suturing everything back up sometimes the uterus is taken out um, which I don't know if lots of people know not commonly but um, it happens so I saw the entire uterus out of my body which was very strange yeah okay. yeah big big fan of the uterus I think it's an amazing organ so that was very cool but very strange to see and I had quite typically um in a Caesar I had a blood pressure drop after baby was born oh, actually that's something that was really special so um I had requested that I'd had I didn't have blood pressure monitoring for the few minutes like for the a little bit after baby was born so I didn't have to worry about it um so the anaesthetist had actually done a blood pressure just as they were um, doing the uterine incision so that we would have kind of at least 10 minutes afterwards. And this shouldn't be special because it should be basic that he asked for consent to do a blood pressure, but it felt really special because it was something out of the ordinary and out of his normal thinking. But baby was up on me and it had been close to 10 minutes I'm guessing and um he actually said Tony is it okay if I do a blood pressure now um, and I felt really respected mm. that he respected my wishes and he respected that this was a really special moment this was the first time I was meeting my son 
and asked for permission to do that. Whereas routinely, you know, you kind of act on um, autopilot. You act on autopilot in moments because you're so used to doing this and they don't see it as a birth. They see it as their day of work and they're just trying to keep everyone safe. Yeah. And that's not to blame or to put fault on them. Um, we all get like that. But that, that felt really special to me. Um, and my blood pressure dropped um, probably 20 minutes after he was born and I felt awful. Um, I was white and clammy and I thought I was going to vomit. Um, and my mum was obviously really worried about me and she was saying, should we take the baby? Um, and the anaesthetist again, who I've, I've done many cesareans with, I've, he's been um, in births with me and he's usually pretty kind of not gruff, but he's not, no, he's not gentle. Um, he's very businesslike. He's very good at his job, very businessy. And he said, no, no, the baby stays with her. She is fine. We will. And there's a picture where his hand is on my hand holding the baby as he's giving me anti-nausea medication. Um everyone's just everyone was there just making sure that my baby could stay with me um and there was only a few minutes where they had to roll me to get me onto the other bed to transfer me to recovery that he wasn't with me um and he was with my mum um and as soon as we got out to recovery he was put back on me and um snuggled him in and was desperate to get him to latch I'd been trying to latch him in theatre um but the poor kid was just shell-shocked and it was an awkward position and I was so fixated because I had gestational diabetes that he had to feed um and I kept trying to force the nipple into his mouth and he was like what are you doing to me just let me can I ask why there was an urgency to get him to feed because of your gestational diabetes like is there something connected there or not just I wanted him to not have a low sugar to start with because that would delay him home. Um, it, there was there was no there was no logical reason. Um, my brain was just like he has to feed, he has to latch. Um, and again, as I, I desperately wanted breastfeeding to go well, um, if I if I wasn't able to breastfeed, I don't know if I would have coped with that as well. As I with everything else, I think that that would have been the straw that broke the camel's back. I know how important the first breastfeed is, so it just it was kind of just this. It wasn't a lot like it wasn't something I'd planned. It wasn't like I had in my birth plan, or I'd even thought about he needs to latch in theatre. It was just as soon as he was there, I was just trying to shove the breast in his mouth, and everyone was like, "Tony, stop! Just let him, let him cuddle. It's fine." <laughs> We got into recovery and I was pretty shaky. I didn't realise how dazed I was, but um, I the the combination of medication that they'd given me left me pretty out of it. Okay. So I, in recovery, I was okay. I was starving. Um, I'd put a muesli bar into my mum's pocket. So mm-hmm. she was feeding me a muesli bar um, and I got him to latch um, and the minute he latched, it was the weirdest sensation and I actually screwed my face up and was like, oh, what is this? <laughs> um, and then I think my mum said, he's feeding, and I just burst into tears. I was so happy. And, yeah, so I was sleepy and just I felt really 
days, like kind of out of it. Um, and I, it's actually, I feel really sad because I, there's moments I don't remember. Um, mm, me too. I, yeah. So we got back to the room and um, I had really wanted a photo of him attached to his placenta. You know how you have those beautiful photos and just in the chaos of it didn't happen and I, I was too out of it to ask for it and I didn't have, like we hadn't discussed it beforehand. So I missed out on that and I don't really remember cutting the cord. Um, there's photos of that, which is good. And I don't remember one of my best friends was waiting in the room for us. Um, and then later on, once I was feeling a bit better, his father came to meet him and I don't remember either of those moments and I feel really sad about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I um, I had something to eat and then he was feeding again. He fed so much um, and I actually I had a huge vomit um, and that was one of the funny parts that I remember because I – I said, I'm going to vomit, and they got a vomit bag but too slow, and I vomited all over myself. He was latched. There was vomit on him, and they picked him up, and he didn't even move. <laughs> he just stayed latched, just feeding furiously. And I I had not vo- – I didn't vomit once throughout my pregnancy. I had quite a bit of nausea on and off, but I hadn't vomited at all in pregnancy. And then I'm like, I've just given birth, and now I'm going to vomit. This doesn't <laughs> Can I ask what was the energy like between you and his father at that point? Um, we had um, – we were really respectful of each other. Um, yeah. We'd done a lot of talking um, in the few weeks before he was born when he contacted me and asked to be involved. Um, and we were really respectful of each other and it was really special I don't remember I don't remember that moment but the next day um when I got up for a shower um he was there and he helped me up to the shower and was helping to change nappies and dress Kahu and um it felt really special that he was there supporting me and our son um so yeah, that was – it was nice. It was – and um, I could tell, like, as soon as he saw him, he fell in love with him. Oh, so beautiful. He is here for his son. He um, loves him very, very, very much and um, is has been a huge support to me as well. He, yeah. he supports me to be the best mum that I can be for our son. Yeah, beautiful. And how has your postpartum been? I mean, you're obviously still very early, only 11 weeks. Yeah. Um, it's been, it's been, again, it's the things that like, you know, I know, I knew what was coming, but you don't know until you're in the yeah. thick of it. Um, so I, um, I spent about 28 hours in hospital. I went home the next day after my Caesar. Um which was a decision, um, but I really wanted to be at home for night two. Um, and I felt supported to do that. My mum was staying with me for, um, she had at least the first month off from work. Um, so we went home and I was still obviously in a lot of pain. You know, I was only 20, 
yeah, 28 hours post-op um, and it's a big surgery. Um, but I went home and we just, yeah, sunk into this little newborn bubble. Um, my mum was the most incredible support. Um, this has made our relationship really special. Um, she did everything for us. She, you know, did the washing and the cooking and made sure that I always, you know, had snacks and um, she never kind of pushed to hold the baby. Like obviously she held the baby but she really held me. She she mothered me and I mothered Kahu and it was beautiful. It was really special. Um, and his dad came over every day. Um, and he would also like, you know, he'd come in and check if my water bottle was full and would fill my water bottle up. Um, and told me I was doing a great job and that I was a wonderful mother. Um, and I felt so very loved, um, instead of, so I had a mother's blessing, um, where all of my women were around me and we, um, you know, all got together and they said beautiful words around me and we ate together and that was really special and part of that was um, they organised a meal train for me. So for the first two and a bit weeks, um, dinner was delivered every night. Amazing. You know, uh, incredible. Um, They would just turn up and drop off food and wave and smile and if I was having a good day they'd come in and have a chat for a little while and if you know it it was a rough day then they'd just wave from the door and blow me a kiss and Mm -hmm. yell out that I was amazing and um go on their way so even from afar my community really supported me um and loved me um mum stayed for four weeks and then you know we settled in and um his dad um, was able to come home most days for the first couple of weeks in the middle of the day, which was huge because it meant that I could, you know, if it had been a big morning, I could go to the toilet and I could eat something while he held the baby and um, then would, you know, come over with dinner um, at night and help with that witching hour. So... I've been really well supported and I've got my beautiful friends around me that still, you know, come over and will bring snacks or come and just sit with me more myself. Yeah. I'm just curious, did you ever experience any disconnection after your birth? Because I'm, as I'm sure you know, that can sometimes be an outcome when you haven't had all of those labor hormones. I, I was luckily fine. Um, I expected to, I, planned to um I'm a big planner um and I had discussed a lot with my midwife and my supports around me the probability of me developing postnatal depression um, because of everything because my pregnancy had had so much grief and loss in it Mm -hmm. Um, I expected to and I had a plan in place I had a plan with my psychologist um and with my midwife and everyone around me to pick up if there was signs of that. And I, you know, I've cared for women that they don't fall in love with their baby straight away. And that, that happens in lots of different births. It happens, um, you know, it can be more common in cesarean sections. 
um, or in traumatic births. Um, but it can happen to anybody and it's something that not a lot of people talk about because, again, there's that shame around it. Everyone's saying, your baby and you're going to fall in love with them and then it's the most incredible love you'll ever feel and sometimes it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it doesn't happen for those mums, it feels so much more heavy, heavy in shame because you're meant to fall in love with your baby. Yeah. So I was prepared not to. I was prepared for well, as prepared as you could be but um I guess I was really lucky that I did as soon as I saw him it, it was love um, there was so much love and there's just more and more every day with him um, but I definitely think that it's it's the way that you feel when you give birth yeah did you practice lots of skin to skin with him? Because as I'm sure you already know, that has been proven to help mend some of those hormonal gaps left from an intervention birth. Yeah, it um, it does. And it also one of the other things that um, I was, you know, upset about was that baby wasn't going to be exposed to, um, you know, the, the good vaginal flora um, to develop the gut microbe. Um, and I did consider doing vaginal seeding um, and decided against it. Um, but I, I sort of, I had this two minds like, you know, is my baby's gut health being impacted by that? And um, a friend sent me a study that um, is recent about how the benefits of skin to skin and breastfeeding actually helps to still develop the levels of gut health in cesarean babies so that felt really important and we still do skin to skin now um not every day but um often we'll do some nudie skin to skin and have some cuddles and I think that it's it's something really good in your tool bag to have yeah and what about your cesarean recovery how has that been yeah um I think it was what I expected coming home the day after so I um he was born just after 1 p.m on Friday and I went home at 5 p.m on the Saturday um the drive home was awful um it so much um but I think that it worked well because I had to move about more Mm -hmm. so you know it's a little bit further to walk from your bedroom to the bathroom than it is when you're in a tiny hospital room um and i also was able to eat and drink at will in hospital you know your breakfast morning tea lunch afternoon tea like it's set on a timer um whereas here i ate and drank constantly um and i had my mum here with me supporting me um so those early days were rough it hurt a lot it hurt a lot more than I thought it would and it was a different hurt I don't know if you experienced it but it it was like burning like fire interesting no I didn't really experience that burn but I did get like the most painful part of it for me was there was air trapped inside my body from when they had opened me up and that air got it was it got trapped under my diaphragm and that was really really painful yeah um I didn't but I know that it is common and you can also get shoulder tip pain yes which yeah is I've heard is absolutely horrendous and looks awful yeah 
And is there anything that you found really helpful or supportive during your recovery that you could recommend? Um, I think that resting. Um, yeah. I, did, I did nothing but looked after the baby. Um, I, I, yeah, I was in bed or on the couch with him with me. Um, I ate good food. I drank plenty of water and I did gentle movement. Um, I think that you can go either way like if you move too much um push yourself too far that's gonna cause problems um but I also think that being too stagnant um can be really problematic because everything gets so tight remember but like you know when you first get up everything feels tight and awful when you first kind of stretch and it's so movement I found was really helpful um and staying on top of your regular pain relief um, yeah. and taking um, stool softness because even though you haven't had a vaginal birth, everything's still, especially because with the cesarean you are on stronger pain relief, mm-hmm. um, it does not help with with the bowel motions. Um, that was really helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. So looking at your entire journey, what would be your key piece of advice for any expectant mothers out there? I think the most important thing is that if you're going, if you're facing a cesarean birth and it's not what you wanted, remembering you're still giving birth. Mm. Um, I never doubted that any of the women I cared for that had a cesarean section had given birth. Crossed my mind which is why I think it was so surprising for me that when I was faced with that, I felt like I was being ripped off, Mm. like I wasn't going to be giving birth. And it's not true. Um, My body didn't go through contractions and I didn't push a baby out, but I still underwent a major transformation that day. My body opened um my body still birthed my baby that it had grown perfectly but also it's okay to grieve you deserve to feel whatever you feel um and inviting and seeking out support for that I think is really important um my other advice is if you have access to it have a continuity of care midwife. Um, have someone in your corner that knows your journey from the beginning um, and will go in and help advocate for you and what you want. More importantly than that, educate yourself to advocate for yourself and go in and fight the battles that you need to fight because the midwives and the other care providers can't do that for you. They they don't have as much skin in the game as you do. If you want and are important to you, you need to go in and sometimes you have to battle for them. We are we are birthing in a system that is not designed to support us. Mm. Um, and as a midwife, I'm trying every day to change that. And I... I worked to change that for myself. I'm really proud 
to say that our little hospital, which had never done anything like it had done for my birth, um, now in the process of writing a policy for gentle birth in a cesarean. Oh, wow. How amazing it, is that? When Kahu was three days old and um, our midwife was here doing our um, our three-day check, um, she got a text from one of the other midwives, who was also a colleague, that had just had um, an emergency cesarean um, and they had done immediate skin-to-skin contact for this mum who was trying for a VBAC um, in an emergency caesar. Wow. And he sobbed and sobbed, so happy that another mum had got to experience what I'd experienced with my baby, that have that special moment of skin to skin, even in an emergency cesarean in our, you know, our little rural hospital um, that can be a bit backwards sometimes but was so forward Mm -hmm. in that moment. Um, And now they're writing a policy so that other women can experience it. And I feel really proud that that you know my experience can help yeah yeah wow so special I feel like I need to preface this entire interview with bring a box of tissues (laughs) (laughs) yeah I um look honestly I expected that I would cry more I feel like I've um you know held it together pretty well but it it's hard. I've got the most incredible birth photos um, and every time I look at them, I just I just cry. I cry. Yeah, I can't wait to see them. Just quickly, is there any other resources you found helpful when planning for your gentle cesarean birth? Um, a few Instagram pages I follow, so Badass Mother Bertha. Yeah, love her page. Yeah, she had posted coincidentally like a couple of um beautiful maternal assisted um births that she had um like that she had shared um the first hello also had some really beautiful um birth photography and stories Mm um and then all of the so I had also done the hypnobirthing course, which some of it was helpful um, in terms of centering myself, especially during the spinal, but a lot of that. So um, B from Core and Floor Restore is an incredible resource and she has free antenatal classes. I don't know if you are aware of those. Okay, no. Um, but she has free antenatal classes that are available on her website and they're a resource that I had recommended to a lot of my clients. Um, and some of those techniques that I had picked up from her I used in mine, mm-hmm. in my birth experience. Amazing. Tony, thank you so much for being so authentic when sharing your story today. I deeply appreciate the vulnerability you've shown and feel so honoured to be able to share your journey. So thank you. Thank you for letting me. Um, It was a really special day and I just, I really hope that other mums, no matter how you're giving birth, can have a really empowering, beautiful day to celebrate. That brings us to the end of today's episode. 
I want to acknowledge that while many of you here would be seeking a physiological birth, it is really important to me to recognize and honor the positive birth experiences of all mothers. And I felt compelled to share this powerful story with you today. If you find yourself facing a surgical birth for whatever reason, remember that you have the power to advocate for yourself and create a sacred experience. Tony's story highlights the possibilities and choices she was able to make, which in my opinion should be standard practice for all women undergoing cesarean birth. But these are the things that every mother can advocate for, ensuring that your birth experience, no matter how it unfolds, still aligns with your wishes and values. For example, as a belly birth mother, I had no idea that a lotus birth could be requested during a cesarean. I hope today's story serves as a source of inspiration for any mothers listening who may be in need of it, and a reminder that you have the ability to shape your birth experience. Regardless of how your baby enters this world, birth is birth. It marks your rite of passage into motherhood or the next season of your motherhood journey, and it deserves profound respect. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode and brought a box of tissues along. <laughs> if you found this episode valuable, we would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us to continue bringing you these stories each week and reach the women who need it. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you all next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia.